This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This podcast is scheduled for 10 questions. Fighting! Out of New York, standing at 5 feet 11 inches tall and wearing the red, white, and blue trunks, presenting Kyle Brandt! Thank you, Bruce Buffer, the prince of the Buffer family and the voice of 10 questions. He is right. I am Kyle Brandt. This is 10 questions, and this is different. I don't know how many podcasts you listen to. You have not heard one like this. It's not just a conversation. It's not just chit chat. It's a competition. We don't have guests on this show. We have contestants and they don't just compete against themselves. They compete against future contestants, past contestants, because you leave this show with a score. Ten questions, each worth one point. You could get a zero. You could get a one. You could get a 10 out of 10. It is up to you. Let's get after it. I thought long and hard about who do I want to be the first contestant on 10 questions. This guy is my number one overall draft pick. It's poetic as hell. Important information about this contestant. He's the 1310 on the SAT. He used to crush Starburst jelly beans. About 70% of his career interviews have at least one mention of Sam Elliott. He plays for the Packers. I think he is the best quarterback to ever throw a pass. And he knows to never go in against the Sicilian when death is on the line. Aaron Rodgers, welcome to 10 Questions. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. That's quite the intro, man. Uh, I resemble those things. And then that's some good research. Was that that's flawless, good research. including the Starburst jelly beans? Yes, I do miss those Starburst jelly beans. That was dinner for a good portion of my uh, my single life for sure oh they're delicious <laughs> they're, they're such a single life thing in your underwear eating out of the bag you got to pair them with the purple doritos at that time which were uh sweet uh chili uh doritos oh my goodness sweet chili doritos and do you go a specific color of the starburst jelly beans or it's just russian roulette no i think it's just pour them in, in, in your mouth you, know, you don't discriminate those All right. Well, this is a fantastic start. I'm going to make it even better. Before we get to the 10 questions, we got to set the table, break the ice a little bit. And I want to start this conversation, Aaron, on a note of honesty. I'm going to ask you a very difficult question. I want you to be honest. All right, Aaron, have you had a scotch? I got one right here. Did you just crunch the ice on Mike? Yes, I did. What are we drinking? What what is it? (laughs) This is a Balvini 15 uh, 15 year. A Balvini 15 years. Balvini, yeah, I like the uh, the less smoky single malt stuff. I've tried it all and been drinking for probably eight years now, um, and I love it. And I talk about it a lot too. It's a good, 
it's a good answer to, uh, hey, so after a tough game, you know, what are you going to do now? I say, well, I'm going to go home and pour myself a scotch. It's true. And you're a goddamn gentleman. Look at you. You're pouring it yeah. back. Settle in, get comfortable. We got to do some, some housekeeping first. Big developments, what you do for a living. Players Association and the league agreed to a new deal. Uh, people are celebrating in the streets, the media, the fans. There's this sense of we're getting football, we're getting football. How do you feel about it? Yeah, well, I was on that call for the last two and a half hours before this. Um, actually, uh, you know, I think there's there's uh, there was a lot of conversation, and there was it was so multifaceted. You had the whole uh, protocol side of it to ensure the safety of our players, our players' families, the coaches, sports staff. There's just so many people involved. I think people might not realize the, that the difference between our sport and say the NBA or Major League Baseball or hockey or these are sports are getting going is that we just have so many more people. You know, we have 90 guys in the roster, which might get cut down to 80 right away. Uh, we have, you know, a number of coaches, support staff, personnel, people, folks in the cafeteria who make things go from a food standpoint, a ton of people on the third floor. And, and the party that we take on road trips is tremendous as well uh, in probably the 150 range. So it's just a bigger group of people that we really have to ensure their safety. And then there was obviously the money issue with, you know, talking about the, you know, uh, just the ins and outs of if we do have a season, if we don't have a season, if we play one game, if we play 16 games, how does it affect different types of things? So there's so many issues to, to get through. I'm proud of the league and, and the players for, uh, for talking through everything. I don't think this is a guarantee of, of anything other than um, maybe a start here in the next couple of days, but, um, but it is good to, uh, to get this thing going because as you saw with major league baseball and the NBA, the, mm-hmm. the, the biggest step was the protocol for safety and then the, and the money, obviously. Are you pleased with how it came out? I mean, I am pleased about about a lot of it. I think there was just so many uh, difficult things to talk to um, because it's unprecedented. I think in our, in our time, definitely in my time in the NFL, and I think giving guys opportunities if they didn't feel safe to opt out, I think was important. I think uh, ensuring uh, safety protocols was important. Um, you know, I think I think there are some things that still be worked out i think this isn't like a you know ironclad this is what it is i think there there has to be some gray areas that we sort through as we move forward but uh but i do think this was uh, definitely a step in the right direction and and probably means that uh, we'll be in we'll all be in camp here pretty soon cheers my friend uh, i'm happy for you guys I, i'm i'm pleased as a fan of the game this is going to happen there is however no gray area in what we're about to do right now you know the deal, but no one's ever done this before. And you are the you're number one. You're patient zero in this 10 questions experiment. 10 questions were 10 points. Here's the deal. If you get the question right, you're going to hear a sound. You're going to hear this. And I think you're going to hear that a lot. Okay. It was kind of like a game show and then like a guitar rock. Did you like that one? I like that. That's good. <laughs> but if you get the question wrong, you're going to hear this. People are disappointed. You don't want to hear that. Mm. There's one wild card in the situation. Should you in any of the 10 questions really struggle and have no idea? Like, I have no fucking clue what you're talking about, Kyle. I got nothing on that. You have what's called a coin toss. It's like our lifeline. You can call for the coin toss and I'll give you two options. And it'll be either A or B. You can only use it once in the 10 questions. Okay. All right. I just want you to know when these questions come out, they may seem really bizarre, but I guarantee that somehow they are attached to your life, your career, what you're about. I, I found the connective <laughs> tissue some way. 
right. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. Who came up with these questions here? Me. And I got you know, okay. to tell you, Aaron, the staff on 10 questions, we went through the questions and they're like, dude, these are hard. Like, these are really fucking hard. And I was like, this is Rogers. He's the smartest guy in the room. He wins oh, Jeopardy. Jesus. We're not taking it easy on his ass. So here we go. Without further ado, Aaron, let's skin this smoke wagon and see what happens. Here are the 10 questions. Question number one. Your category is zoology. Mm. The proper term for a baby goat is what? Let's get a completion to start this thing. That's a quick one out in the flat for six yards. Let's get a, let's get a point. What is a baby goat called? I don't know. It's probably called a... Baby goat. Uh, this is the two hundred dollar Jeopardy clue. I know I you know, know this. Be, it should be the easy one. Uh, but the first thing that came to mind was Joey, but that's a kangaroo, I believe, and then <laughs> right. Kit, Kit, which is a fox. Okay. Uh, What's a baby goat? Do you are, are you honestly considering using the coin toss on question one? Yeah, I'm gonna use the coin toss. I feel like wow. if I want it, get started on the right on the right foot. So, you know, I don't, I feel like if you tell me the two, I'm going to get it right. Okay. You get a choice between two, but this is like you used all three of your timeouts on the first drive of the second half. But here we go. You know what? You know what? In Joe Philbin's first game as an interim head coach, he used two challenges in the first drive, both which should have been overturned in our favor. We lost both, lost two timeouts, and that was his first game as interim coach. But we ended up winning the game, so it, uh, it worked out. And everybody respects Joe Philbin. Here are your two choices. Is a baby goat called a calf or a kid you know i almost fucking said kid i really almost did do you want to say it now it's it's kid yeah he says kid is he right i almost said kid you go with the instinct my friend you have no coin toss uh we bring up goats Mm. because of course you get goat talk you've gotten goat talk for years tom gets a ton montana still gets some you get a bunch of it. I know that you grew up in the Bay Area and you you watched Young and Montana. And I know as a kid, you watched VHS tapes of old Super Bowls. You're a true historian. Have you ever watched anything and seen a quarterback and said, he's definitely better than me? Oh, man, that's tough to say. I think, you know, there's I think there's in this society, there's way too much goat talk. You know, like a there's goat a goat talk. on everything. This guy's the goat of this. He's the goat of that. Right. And I think it's fun to, to say those things. You know, I, I told my, you know, my house manager that, that she was a goat the other day, you know, because I, I believe manager. she's amazing. But when you're talking about greatest of all time, when it comes to specific athletes, I think uh, there's a couple of different ways to break it down. One is uh, talent, like pure talent level um, and ability. And the other is is uh, is maybe the, you know, the winning because I think winning often gets that that status, you know, that whoever wins the most championships yeah. is the greatest of all time. Bill Russell, you know, has won, I think, 11 championships, but not many people would say he is the GOAT, but he is the greatest winner of all time. Um, talent-wise, you know, I've, I've definitely thrown with a lot of the guys around the league and been a fan for a long time. Um, I've never felt like there's anybody who watching them throw is, you know, head and shoulders above me. I, I, I love, you know, my... My buddy and State Forum ally Pat Mahomes. Just I think 
the way that he plays really reminds me of myself. And I say that with the utmost amount of respect and, and, and humility, just because I think uh, I love watching him play because he runs around, he makes throws all over the place. He no look passes and he does it with, uh, you know, I think en enough balance between swagger and humility. Um, so it just depends on what you're, you know, what you're calling the, the best. I think talent wise, there's, there's a few guys who've been kind of in that, department and then obviously from a uh, you know an overall greatest winners of all time a couple guys from the bay area come to mind pretty quickly and joe and tom we need to give a proper shout out what is the first name of your house manager aaron joy joy is is the jordan of house managers is it true when she pays your gas bill she shrugs like mj she would <laughs> but i am uh sophisticated human and i take care of my bills oh god bless you so the if the goat thing were to go to trial i would have a surprise piece of evidence on your behalf in the case for aaron Rodgers. i don't think a lot of people know this i didn't either until i started looking into this i think the craziest most underappreciated stat of your career is you've thrown at this point close to seven thousand passes do you know how many of those passes have been intercepted and returned for a touchdown Unfortunately, two. One, I missed a tackle, and the other, I threw inside on an out route against Cincinnati that was no a no doubter. All right, well, let's not bury the lead. Two, two. And to your point, I watched the clip of when you missed the tackle. Like you tried to clothesline the guy. You you were you looked so pissed off. What, what happened there? <laughs> you know, that's one of those games we're playing Tampa down there, and I don't yeah. think they had won a game yet. It was in two thousand eight, and they were in the throwback jerseys. Yeah. And like the first possession of the game, uh, we run just like a, a you know two jet all go hinge, which uh, converted, and I hit James Jones for like a seventy yard touchdown. And I was thinking, man, we're gonna blow these guys out. It's gonna be one of those games. And I came back and had another opportunity. I think the second possession, and we ran like a double post concept on the right side, and I had a chance to hit Greg Jennings kind of um, a hole shot. But I felt like the backside was gonna be wide open. I threw a pick, and it kind of started turned the momentum, um, kind of. Uh, you know, immediately there and just kind of went downhill from there. And it was just one of those frustrating games where they were, they were very vanilla on defense. They were playing next to the same coverage. I saw my first three years in the league. And, you know, I was just at that point, I think it was 31, 28 at that point, maybe. And, you know, I threw that and just tried to, you know, kind of one of those rip his head off kind of things. And, I'm not obviously paid to tackle and miss that one, unfortunately. Two career pick sixes. Now, for sake of comparison, Brady has 14, including one in the Super Bowl. Breeze has 27 and is going to be a first ballot Hall of Fame guy. So these guys are super talented, super smart. How is it possible that you only have two? Well, to be honest, I have made a couple tackles. I made a you know tackle in the, in the 2010 NFC Championship game against Brian Urlacher, my good friend. Uh, my probably my greatest tackle in my career was against New Orleans in 2008. Greg slipped on the left side, and I don't for a reason he really didn't see me until about the five yard line. And I hit him with everything I could. I felt like he was kind of staggered on the sidelines. Really, go back and watch that. I definitely was a little staggered. <laughs> um, but no, I think you know a lot of the pick sixes come when you miss inside on outbreaking routes. You know, and a guy is able to break on it yeah. and be kind of running downhill as he as he catches it. Um, I, I, you know, so I've avoided those for the most part in my career, other than that, uh, you know, really that one against Cincinnati. Um, and then, you know, I, I got to give credit. There's been a couple nice tackles by my teammates, but 
I'm always uh, in position. You know, I'm not. I haven't made a ton of tackles over my career, but I'm but I'm in position. I turn them back. You do? No, I've seen. I listen. I was at that that 2010 game against the Bears. Like Urlacher should have been gone. I, it was a crazy like ankle grabbing tackle. And if you don't make it, like he's seventy yards on the side. Was a it a quad? quad? Yeah, got him on a squad. Yeah. You know, golfers sometimes have their favorite distance, and basketball shooters have their favorite spot on the floor. Do you have a favorite throw? Like a favorite kind of throw? Oh, I mean, I've obviously loved the back shoulder for so many years, but uh, I think a transition go ball is my favorite. Yeah. You know, the, I call it a transition. If you look at the the way a lot of uh, go balls are thrown on the outside, um, you know, they're taught, uh, especially in the West Coast, it's like, a, you know, 42 to 44 yards, okay. uh, you know, on the red line, you know, five yards from the, from the sideline. That's kind of how it's taught. But um, I always felt like the, uh, the best time I still do, you know, a lot of times if you can get the ball up and down a little quicker, um, if you have a guy who can beat your guy at the line of scrimmage, the defensive backs first order of business is to get back at the hip. Um, so a lot of times they're just trying to get even with the receiver and, and then look up for a ball. Um, when a lot of times I like to throw the ball, maybe a little lower. Sometimes I had a great one, uh, with Devante, uh, last year against Philly on, on the, on the right sideline where, Tay, you know, so good at the line of scrimmage, beats this guy quickly. I no hitch it and throw it a little bit lower. And it just, by the time the guy gets to his hip and looks up, the ball is, you know, kind of going by his his head. So I love the transition uh, go ball. And we've hit a number of those over the years. A ton of them. You are one for one. A very expensive one point that you got with the coin toss. But let's move on to category two. I'm going to try to give you a category that you like. I want to see if I can get you in a groove here. Tell me if you like this category. Category for question two, Kevin from The Office. Right on the nose. Here we go. Perfect. Season three, episode 10 of The Office is entitled Benihana Christmas. There are dueling Christmas parties at the paper company. What song does Kevin sing on the karaoke mic? Oh, I can see it now. Oh, my God. He's going to kill me if I don't get this, too. Takes it very seriously, Um, Kevin. It's it's uh, you ought to know by Alanis Morissette, I think. He says you ought to know you, by Alanis you, Morissette. You ought to know, and he's damn right. He does know you, 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 you ought to know. <laughs> All right, you're two for two. Before we get into this, hold on. You you were on the office, and you crushed the dreams of the Nard Dog. What was that experience like? What was the office? I mean, that's incredible. You got to go. Well, tell me about that. Well, I met I met uh, Brian Baumgartner, who plays Kevin Malone, on the putting green in Lake Tahoe in 2008. And that was, you know, as you know, a busy summer for me um, <laughs> with the transition and fire Farb trying to come back. And there was a, at the at the event, there was a lot of talk at that point because Brett had just talked about wanting to come back. And there was interview requests and ESPN yeah. tricked me into doing this Sunday conversation and you know, a lot of just bullshit up there, really, to be honest. Um, but him and I struck a friendship up at that point, and, and I was already a big fan of the show. That's how I knew who he was. I started out being a big fan of the British office with Ricky Gervais. And, and uh, my best friend from, you know, when I was 10 years old, Joey, kind of got me onto the show. And and I just absolutely loved it. Couldn't believe it was only two seasons. So when the American office came out, I just dove right into it. And, and him and I made a fast friendship. And he kind of hit me up in the last season. 
said, Hey, there's a, you know, there's an opportunity to be on the show. Would you want to? I said, yeah, of course. (laughs) Uh, Then got to set and, uh, met Santa gold and clay Aiken, you know, as the judges of this, (laughs) you know, silly, silly show and having no idea how the last season was playing out. I, you know, watched it up to that point, but didn't know, you know, that now is, you know, what was going on in the show. And, uh, Ed was uh, was great to to work with. He's really really funny. The, the, one of my favorite stories about the show is that I wasn't crazy about the line of flag on the play, just because I would never say that, you know. Sure. <laughs> and I just wanted to be authentic. I thought the line was a little cheesy, um, so I kept saying other lines. I would say, you know, just kind of ad lib a little bit, and you know, the the sweet uh, you know script lady would come over and say, Mister Rogers, your line is flag on the play. <laughs> So I, you know, I think I said it, we did 12 takes. I said it three times. Of course they use, you know, one of those three, but, uh, but that was a lot of fun being on there. And, and then, you know, of course, finally I was on the penultimate episode of that show and which kind of went into the last show as well, when they showed a little montage of, of, uh, baby Wawa. Um, and I was also, you know, coincidentally on the penultimate uh, episode of one of my other favorite shows, although nobody really saw me, um, Game of Thrones. You know, there's a mystery about this on the internet and a lot of confusion. Everybody knew you were doing it and you had pictures, but then everyone decided that you were this guy who runs into an alley and then gets lit up by dragon fire. And I know that wasn't you. So did you even appear? That was not me. I think you you would know that based on the running style of that individual. <laughs> it um, wasn't great. Greg was flailing out to the side the bad. whole time. That was not me. I also wasn't one of the archers. I saw someone who looked similar to me that people yeah. were thinking uh, in red. But I had a very brief time when uh, Arya's running through the streets trying to get out after um, the hound tells her to, to get out of there before he fights his uh, brother, the mountain. Um, and there's a scene where she kind of comes down this this uh, these steps, and I'm there. And then they see they flip it around, and you can see me briefly again. So it's it's one of those things. Where it's like right there, and right there, mm-hmm. and that was it. But it was it was fun to be a part of it. I mean, obviously, I've made a couple comments about how I thought the last season could have been a little better, but I did love the show, and it's one of my probably. I mean, one of my top four probably all time favorite shows, right there with The Office and Lost, and um, you know, Jeopardy, of course. Well, we're going to get to that. It's. I just want to make sure I have it straight. So the the production for Game of Thrones gets this MVP quarterback to come by and put on all the dress and go through all that shit. And then they barely even show you. It, it's almost like that's lazy writing in the final season of Game of Thrones, which is just shocking coming from that crew. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was on set all day. Had a great time, you know, hour of makeup and, and wardrobe and, you know, on set for 10 hours and got about, Ten milliseconds. So it's bullshit. As was the last, the rest of the last season. Don't apologize, Aaron. Your takes at the end of Game of Thrones were so good, but we have to go back to the office. We know that you're going to the office this year. Are you guys gonna stay at the office? Like, I, I mean that. It's like, do you think this is gonna work out like long term in terms of what you'd agree with and what they're all gonna do with? You're going to the office. Are you gonna stay? I don't know. I mean, I think they've talked about damn near every scenario. You know, from what constitutes an outbreak to the testing procedures. Um, you know, I think if the other leagues are any good example, you know, I think I saw some stat with hockey that had 2,300 tests and only two positive and mm-hmm. the NBA had 350 ish tests and zero positives a couple of days ago. So, you know, we, we, I think we all needed to see that happen 
uh, and be able to operate, uh, you know, semi-normally. It would be great to get fans back at the stadium. There's been talk about up to ten or 12,000 fans at the stadium. I think there's plenty of room at Lambeau. I know that for, you know, distancing to allow that many people to be there. It will be strange. I mean, it what would, about that? 10,000 people in that cathedral? Like, it's going to be strange. Is, is it, does that rub you wrong? Like, is, is it sacrilege? It's strange. I think that's the best way to put it. I, I think... You know, I, I understand and, and appreciate that there is fear around this and that there there, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people affected um, at the same time. You know, it's not just the sick people who are affected. Like I think about our city of Green Bay, which I love. I've spent 15 years of my life there. I worry about the long term um, sustainability of our city because we don't have the same amount of people coming to our town, uh, Airbnb in our houses. Yeah you know, renting property on Lombardi Avenue to have a long game day weekend, going to our bars, going to our restaurants. Yeah. Like we count on, uh, you know, people coming from Milwaukee and Madison and, and Manaqua and Sheboygan. Hudson, Wisconsin, and, you know, and Racine and all over the place to, you know, to come to our great city and watch us play. Um, I don't know, like a part of me wishes there was uh, an understanding of, responsibility to it. I think that's the biggest thing that we've seen is people are so worried about who's responsible if somebody tests positive or whatever. And look, man, there's risk driving down the street. There's risk getting on an airplane. There's risk, you know, doing a lot of things. Like at what point do we take away the opportunity to do things based on strictly on fear? Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't want to go out, I get it. Like if you're scared, that's fine. But if you want to, like, I don't know, like, and if you're being safe and smart about it and taking care of yourself, I think the biggest problem I have with the whole thing is there's yeah. been a lot of conversations about mandating certain things, but, uh, we're not mandating, uh, you know, healthy diets or immune juice boosting things or, you know, things that to me would make a little more sense, you know, at least talk about, Hey, let's talk about it. like, yeah, wearing a mask that might help. It might. There's been people from the CDC and Fauci early on saying that doesn't help. So, I mean, I don't know how that, you know, everything changes. It seems like every single day, I'll tell you what does help is finding ways to boost your immune system. 80% of this country is vitamin D deficient. Um, that's, you know, and then we know that a lack of vitamin D causes inflammation, causes disease in the body. Uh, foods that you eat have uh, adverse effects to your body as well. So I don't know. I think there should be more education, not just like, Hey, you have to do this or else. Hey, how about maybe let's do this. This will help prevent things and also boost your immune system in case you do get it. You have a better chance of dealing with it in an effective way. I think that I think there needs to be more education around the whole conversation. All the distancing and anything you could possibly do to mitigate illness is great. And then you start playing football and it's, you know, it's third and six and you're dropping back. So let's say, Aaron, you get sacked and you got three big fat Vikings laying on top of you and they're sweating and drooling and all that. Like it's different than in years past, isn't it? Or is it just football? I mean, it depends on who you ask. I really think. I think I do find it rather comical that, you know, we can go through a game and get sacked and hit and touched and pushed. And, and then in the game, I can't, you know, dap up my buddies on the other side. You know, we're right. playing week one, we're playing Minnesota. Um, and I've been friends with Adam Thielen now for a long time. I have a ton of respect for him as a person. I think he's a great dude. He's, yeah. a, he's a good friend of mine. He's a phenomenal player. Um, I can't, uh, you know, swap with him even though a bunch of his teammates on defense just you know 
rocked me the entire game. I, I don't, uh, that to me is, I don't quite understand that part. And again, I go back to like, you know, I think obviously it can affect all of us. Uh, anybody can get it, but there's things to do to help your chances of dealing with a little bit better. And that's what I've been doing. Um, and obviously you don't want to be someone who's spreading it to a bunch of people, but uh, I think the testing that's in place is going to enable us to, to hopefully have a chance to be a little safer. And then once we get out there, if we have, if you have, you know, if you have 46 active on both sides, you have 92 guys, mm-hmm. you know, on the sidelines who all tested negative the entire week. Is there risk? I don't know. You have a bunch of negative guys. Right. We'll see. Aaron, you are two out of two. We're going to pick up the pace. We're going to go to question number three. And your category is video games. I know you're a big fan of the 1990s. Your question is, what early 90s era arcade basketball game featuring green mohawks and punching is considered a forerunner to NBA Jam? Two on two, NBA Jam with punching is basically what it was. And then miraculously, yeah, <laughs> NBA Jam showed up and had players and it was a sensation. What was the forerunner? Oh, man, I played this game, too. Yeah. This is what kills me. Oh. You don't steal the ball. You just punch the guy in the face and take it and then go the other way and dunk it. I know you played it. Uh, yeah, I definitely played it. This would have been, if I just would have said kid the first time, this would have been a fun one to have that. <laughs> memory lane there. I know you're going to tell me what the answer is here in a second. I'm going to say oh man. Yeah, punch. Green Mohawk guy had the hardest punches. Yeah, I I know. NBA Street Fighter. NBA Street Fighter would be awesome with like M. Bison doing dunks between his legs over Guile. (laughs) Unfortunately NBA Street Fighter never happened nor did E. Honda throwing an outlet pass. The name of the game was Arch Rivals. Arch Rivals. My God. (laughs) Punch. Punch. Oh man. Um, We all played it. We pumped quarters into it. Here's why I asked you about Arch Rivals. Peyton and Tom went at it for years. Magic and Bird Walter Sobchak and the Jesus. Who is your rival? I don't know. I mean, I feel like the guy I've probably played against the most is Matt Stafford, Mm -hmm. I would say. I mean, Matt's been there since 2008, I believe, eight or nine. Him and I have been playing division for so long, so many games against each other. Um, I know a lot of people want to make it like me and Jay Cutler. you know, because that rivalry just so the Bears Packers is such a, you know, heated rivalry. I would say I haven't had, you know, just one specific person who the media is maybe donned like my rival during my career. Obviously, we had four games against Brett Favre when he was in Minnesota. Um, but, you know, Stafford and I, Maddie and I have played together so many times over the years. Um, that's probably been my biggest my biggest rival, I guess. It's funny because you you and I were talking about how you define the greatest of all time. I think you don't define rivalry by volume, but back and forth. Like the saying, like the rivalry doesn't have a, the hammer doesn't have a rivalry with a nail. In the NFC North, I looked it up. You're 46, 18 and one, including two and oh in the playoffs. Like it's, that's why I asked the question because you dominate them. You have, do you know, 
you know who I think your rival is? It's someone you didn't mention. I'm not on the team. I don't play in the league, but I have an opinion. Do you, do you, do you know who? Guess who I'm going to say? I would say probably Russell. That Russell. Yeah. Russell. Four and four against him. Ridiculously memorable games. Controversial games. It just feels yeah. like such a great match. And you won the last one. It's just every time there's Packers, Seahawks, it's like, holy shit, this is going to be real. Hey, um, we've had some battles over the years for sure. Definitely. We, I think if you go back to the games, I would say the home teams won every game. Although we basically won the fail Mary, but yeah, they don't true. count that. They don't count that for some reason. Um, Cause the, that terrible referee um, didn't realize that Golden Tate never even had his hands on the ball. Um, but uh but yeah, because we beat them, uh, we beat them sixteen, uh, we beat them seventeen. Mm-hmm. Probably what else last we beat year. Them? Last year we beat them, and we beat them at uh, fifteen as well. When James Jones was was our, our stud guy, right, with the hood out the back of the pads, <laughs> right? Yeah, and then we have you know they, they smoked us. Uh, up there, start one of the seasons, yeah, and obviously we lost in fourteen the NFC Championship and lost on Thursday night uh, two years ago. Yeah, it's been some good games. It's always it's always great games. And as we go to question four, you are two for three. This is where we up the production value. This category is name that movie. All I'm going to do is play you a movie clip. It's about twenty seconds long, and all you have to do is name the movie. And I didn't go easy. I didn't do, you know, Lebowski, Princess Bride, Anchorman. I don't even know if you've seen this movie. I have no clue. I probably haven't. But I know you like some of the main actors in it. Here comes the clip. Aaron Rodgers, name this movie. It's a living thing, Brian. It breathes. It eats. It hates. The only way to beat it think like it to know that this flame will spread this way across the door and up across the ceiling not because of the physics of flammable liquids but because it wants to yeah that's uh that's De Niro definitely and I think he's talking who's in that movie uh what's his name uh Kurt's in that I think Kurt Russell's in that. Yep. And Billy Baldwin? Definitely Billy Baldwin. And it's definitely called Backdraft. You got it, dude. You nailed that. I didn't know if you were going to get Backdraft. That you seemed you were smiling and nodding for the whole clip. That was a no doubter. Yeah. I just I remember I remember that movie distinctly. It's it's one of those classic. When did it come out? In the early nineties? Yeah, I would say like maybe ninety. Late eighties. I, mean, I would say yeah. ninety ninety. Ron Howard directed it. A lot of slow mo of Kurt Russell running through fire. It's awesome. I know. You said backdraft, so let's go back to the draft. Big Raj gets up there with the card, the commissioner with the twenty sixth pick in the twenty twenty NFL draft. The Green Bay Packers select Jordan Love, quarterback, Utah State. What's your reaction? I was definitely surprised, you know, uh, when they drafted up, you know, I was watching the draft and, and thinking about which receiver might be there at that time. And I think there was a run on them there in the early twenties. And the kid from LSU, who I loved watching, uh, went, I think to Minnesota in the early twenties, 
I knew the kid from Clemson was still there and I enjoyed, enjoyed watching him as well. I didn't know maybe as much about him and the kid from Arizona state as well. I think they, they liked him. Um, and you know, his teammate was with us, uh, uh, Manny Wilkins, a quarterback. So when they traded up, um, I was definitely a little, uh, perked up a little bit. And then I got a text cause everything's so delayed. I got a text from my agent, uh, Mark, Getting an agent who I love, and he said uh, he just texted quarterback. And I was like, "Oh wow, okay." So I love scotch, but I've been drinking uh, some sipping tequila lately as well. Right. And once I got that text, I went to the pantry, I poured myself, uh, you know, about uh, four fingers, and I knew it was going to be one of those nights where the people are going to start calling, and there's going to be, uh, you know, you know, hey, you know, everything fine, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, fine. Like, uh, you know, I'm. I wasn't, uh, like I said, I wasn't elated by the pick, you right. know, especially being one game away from the Super Bowl and feeling like we're a couple players away. But um, at the same time, I understand it's a business. I know, you know, I know, uh, I know that's uh, that's a reality. But uh, I will say, you know, I, I definitely, as much as people want to make parallels to certain things, you know, in 2004, you know, the Packers were, uh, 10 and six and lost in the first round of the playoffs. We were 13 and three and, you know, one game from the Super Bowl, won a playoff game at home, obviously won our division, a little different uh, circumstance, not to mention that Brett had talked about retiring for a few years before that. So, you know, I don't, and I've talked about playing in my forties. So I, you know, the, when people start talking about the parallels to this and that, well, I, you know, I fell at 24. Um, they traded up and, and drafted, um, drafted Jordan. So, like I, I see the parallels based on age for sure. Um, and I think it was important for me to go through that experience to understand really what he's going through and what he's going to be thinking when, uh, when we'll go through a season together. But, uh, yeah, that's basically it. And I, you know, poured myself some tequila and, and, uh, FaceTime and talked to a bunch of people that night. Um, and the next day I called Jordan, you know, cause I just want to make sure he knew that, you know, I know what he was thinking. You know, I know what he was going through, and it's the, the last thing you want is is to deal with any negativity around like realizing a, a a childhood dream. So I just told him, "Congrats, man! I understand what you're going through, man. It's super exciting. I'm excited to work with you, which I am. Um, and I understand it's a business. I understand the nature of the business, and um, not here abdicating my spot by any means. That's not going to happen. But but I understand how the business works and uh, that's basically what happened. At some point, there's like a ridiculous decision that has to be made because if you're just you and you can stay healthy, the team has to either choose about we're going to move on from Aaron Rodgers, which is sounds nuts, or we're just not going to play our first round draft pick. H- how does this end? I think probably the first, the former. Um, I think that's probably what happens. Uh, you know, based on, you know, just the circumstances around everything, you know, you look at, uh, just look at the facts, you know, they traded up, they drafted them. I would say they, they like them. They, they want to play them. Um, it's a different, uh, different environment. You know, in 2005, my first year were four and 12, second year were eight and eight. Um, there wasn't a clamoring, you know, to, to play me because it was normal for young guys to sit, you know, in the third year, Oh seven, we go 13 and three where, you know, one play we're overtime in the NFC championship playing at home against the giants from going to the Super Bowl. different scenario. You know, now I think 
uh, quarterbacks are playing earlier. It it gives you know gives some latitude for young coaches and GMs to you know to to play their to play their guys. And I get it. I really do. Like I, I don't harbor any ill will about it. Like was I bummed out? Of course. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. You know, like I wanted to play my entire career in Green Bay. I love the city. I grew up there. Really, I was got there. I was 21. I'm 36 now. You know, a lot changes during that time. Um, but, but look, I get it. I see it completely clearly, and and I'm not bitter about it. Um, it just kind of is what it is. Last question, then we'll move on. The idea that you've conceded, you know, maybe I don't end up with the same team when you're late at night in the summer and you're sitting out on your back deck or you're lying in bed and it's just been a long night and you're you alone with your thoughts and you're picturing yourself with another team. How do you look in a bear's uniform? <laughs> oh man, that's, that's a tough thought right there, man. I sharp? know you've been a, yeah, you've been a bears fan for a while, man. I have a ton of respect for that, uh, that organization, that fan base, man. We've had some good times over there. Yeah, I bet. Other than yeah, you Dal- win almost every time. Other than Dallas, playing in Dallas, man, I feel like I've had, you know, just about almost as many big wins in in, uh, in Chicago than we have in Dallas. That brings us to our next category. Question number five, your category is the Wayans Brothers. You're three out of four. Your question, Aaron Rodgers, to stay a red hot 80%. Damon Wayans used to portray a clown who was also an ex-con that hit people on the head with a sock full of pennies. What was the clown's name? Can you picture the clown? I have absolutely no idea. I've met Marlon, I think, one time. You met Marlon? I have zero idea, so I'm just going to say Bozo. Bozo the ex-con with the sock full of pennies. What a great guess. Unfortunately, that's wrong. The answer is Homie the Clown. Homie. Oh. And his catchphrase was, Homie, don't play that. Uh, it was legendary. Oh, you know have... That's where that comes from. Huh? Homie, don't play that. It's from In Living Color, like the sketch comedy show in the early 90s with Jim Carrey and Jennifer Lopez. Um, oh, you should, you should go back and watch it. You would love it. it. It's wild what they pulled off. But I said Homie because... Your uh, own relationship with homie now is Patrick Mahomes. What did you think, dude, when you heard that he signed the contract that he signed and there's numbers like half a billion this being flown around? What was your reaction? I'm just really happy for him. I've got to know him over the last couple of years. Um, I enjoy the way he carries himself. I think he does the league a service, you know, by being just a good a, a good human. I think he, you know, is not a robotic uh real cliche ridden person. He has his own personality. Um, I think he's really good for the game. I was obviously had a phenomenal fourth quarter in the Super Bowl, threw 50 touchdowns, one MVP, um, putting together a pretty damn good resume, um, as a super, super young player in this league. And, um, I'm always happy for guys, guys getting paid. You know, I think it's, I always look at not just, what a guy's making or how he plays, but how they handle themselves. And we just did three days on set in Austin together, filming um, for State Farm. And just a good dude, man. He's a good, he's a good human. I enjoy, enjoy being around him. I think he carries himself really well. And I think he's, uh, 
he's the next generation superstar that's really good for our league. You say next generation. It's funny. There's a thing going on right now where you won MVP a couple of times. The last two league MVPs have been 23-year-old quarterbacks with he and Lamar. And they're doing them with like ridiculous stats and unbelievable highlights and all these gaudy numbers. There's that priceless little scene where Shooter McGavin is in the woods and he's trying to do Happy Gilmore's swing. It's actually a very humanizing moment for McGavin. Do you think you and the old guard, like, do you ever look at Lamar and Mahomes and feel like you want to do McGavin's swing? Well, first of all, I think we all know we can't do hardly any of the stuff that Lamar can do. I mean, his athletic ability is unbelievable. And to do what he did last year was was so phenomenal. So I don't think there's any of us, myself, Drew, Tom, Fan and these guys are going, man, I need to, you know, work, I need to start running more in the off season. I think, you know, you kind of are who you are at that point. Right. Um, you know, they do some, you know, some pretty amazing things. Um, and I think it's great. You know, I think the more eyes we can get on our game, the better. It's fun having, you know, some great young talent at quarterback. Um, now that, you know, the, the goal for those guys and, and the, the focus is consistency now doing it year after year. That's how you, you know, get that, uh, gold jacket and and are and do go down as one of the best ever is is to put together you know a decade of playing at a high level where you're considered one of the top you know two or three guys in the league every single year and that's going to be the focus for those guys and it's it's you know it's tough you got to kind of get through the first years of starting uh, as defenses now have an entire off season especially in your division to scheme for you and to try and find ways to slow you down um you know, I think it'd be, be difficult for him, but those guys are so supremely talented. It's uh, it's going to be, it's just probably just trying to slow him down. There's not really any way to stop him. We're at halftime. You have a three out of five. You're on pace for a six out of 10. And I'm going to give you a category. Again, I, I know you're going to love this category. This is, this is wheelhouse for you. Question six, the category is early 2000s NBA. In yeah. 2002, you were playing at Butte Community College. 76ers point guard Allen Iverson was having a media session in which he said the word practice 22 times. What hat was he wearing at the time? You picture the clip, you picture the body language. He's got a hat with a little tilt, pretty flat brim. And it's an odd hat that he's wearing. Was it a black hat? It's more like a smoky white. And it's got a team logo right on the front. That's as much as yeah. I can legally tell you. What team logo was it? It's not the 76ers. I know. Yeah, no, I know. I, my, I'm just going to go with my first instinct here. Do it. And not do any, any build up or lead into my answer. I'm going to say New York Yankees. Rogers says New York Yankees. This is fucked up. It, it was the Boston Red Sox. The answer is oh the Red God. Sox. He's wearing a Red Sox was hat. It really? Yeah. Wow. And there's a whole I... internet, uh, like people try to find that exact hat, and it's a very difficult hat to get because everybody wants it because of the practice rants. But it's cool. It's got the two socks, and it's like red stitching and like a gray oh background. Oh my God, I can see it. No, it's a Red Sox hat. I ask because obviously it's iconic and I've heard you quote the practice rant before. You are a strategist at heart. 
at this point in your career, do you have like a general strategy or philosophy with the media? I've always had, you know, kind of one, one philosophy that, you know, involves just being thoughtful. I think it's important to take a beat a lot of times, especially with a question that's uh, more difficult or uh, challenging, or maybe it's the expected question of the day, uh, slow down and take a breath, be, be thoughtful about it. Um, I've always found it's important to uh, be respectful of those people as well. The, the beat reporters that we see every day, the men and women in our locker room, um, you know, because they're people too. A lot of times you just, you know, just take the take the emotions out of it. Take the sensitivity out of it. Don't, you know, don't get riled up by something they say. They're trying to do a job. Some of them, you know, maybe, you know, fringy at times with trying to push your buttons, but just take all the emotion out of it and take the sensitivity out of it. Call them by their first name if, if you can remember it and know it. And after the cameras go off and the, and the notepads go away, say hi to them when you walk in the locker room, you know? Like, I'm not saying that's going to get you any type of, you know, you know, anything. It's not that you don't do it to, you know, oh, maybe if I say hi to them, they'll write something nice. No, you just, just be a human though. You know, because I think it takes out, it takes out that weird wall between, I think, beat reporter and and player. You know, and I got to stand in my locker, you know, every Wednesday and answer questions. And it's the same, a lot of the same people, you know, over the years who've been with the same publications. And you know, it's a it's a respect thing. I don't think the, I think manners go a long way, especially in this day and age where there's just, you know, not they're not used as often. I think it's important to just, you know, be cordial with people and respect people and call them by their first name. I think really you know, empowers those people and, and lets them know you're you know, you're paying attention to who they are. And, and like, I'm not reading these articles and, you know, for a long time I did, I think as a young player, this is kind of normal. You want to yeah. see what everything's going on about there. I don't really, I really don't care about, it. um, you know, maybe like I did when I was a you know first or second year player, but, um, but you can always respect those people. And I think just taking a little bit of time and then just showing some respect. I think it goes a long way. I got to tell you, as someone who interviews players, that first name thing makes you feel a hundred feet tall. Like you feel, you feel like they know who they're talking to. They know where they are. It's so respectful. And yet it, it's so basic. It's so basic. And a lot of guys don't do it. It is a matter of manners. You know, it's funny with manners. They sometimes completely disappear when it comes to like football television. Some football television is completely obnoxious. And over the years, I know you've had some takes on this and they always really, really amuse me. What is when you're at home or you're at like an airport bar and the TV's on, like, what is the worst kind of football television? And well, let me just say this before, you know, yeah. what you guys do on your show is really fucking good. Thanks, like man. it's a show that, that, that is on all the time uh, in our cafeteria uh, I have a ton of respect for yourself and Pete and Nate and Kay. I think you guys do an amazing job. I really do. I think you guys, you guys make sports uh, less douchey. I think it's the best way I can say it. It's awesome. you know I mean, because you guys, you guys talk on the real about things. You guys talk about things in a real manner. And it doesn't, like as much as you guys probably know what the topics are going to be, it doesn't feel scripted. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like, hey, Kyle, you got to take this side today. And Pete, you're going to take this side. And then Nate, you kind of... You know, do whatever you want. And can you just kind of keep everything, you know, it's like, yeah. no, you guys, there's just a realness about the show that I, I think we all, anybody who knows it and has been on it or watches it just appreciates. But what, what I, you know, 
laugh at, do not spend any time watching. But unfortunately, you know, it's usually like ESPN's on here and, uh, you know, the network's on over there, kind of in our cafeteria. It's just like four guys, you know, four men or four women, whoever, whoever the, it shakes out. And everybody's just trying to say the most outlandish thing possible yep. to get the most clickbait. And I've said it many times about clickbait. My problem with with putting ridiculous headlines on the stories is that in this culture where the attention span is so short for so many people, even people probably listen to this interview or watching this who, you know, can't stay on the entire time because they got other things to do and other things looking at their phone. You know, it's like all they're gonna read is eight words on an ESPN front page. And that, and they think that's going to, you know, that's what these people are trying to get people to click on because they get a one second page, you know, one second on that page that counts as the page view. And the more page views you get, the more ad revenue you get. And I think it's, it's really low class journalism. It's like some of the headlines that get put on some of these articles that have nothing to do with what's actually content wise in the article. I think it's, it, I think it's poor journalism. I think it's a total lack of integrity. And I don't want to listen. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to listen to four people you know, on some show yelling at each other about opinions that do they really feel that way? Is that like, are they just trying to be the most outlandish, you know, opinion possible so they get the most views when it gets, you know, retweeted on Twitter or posted on a 10 second blurb on ESPN.com or something? I just think it's, I think it's really done a disservice to the, uh, you know, to the uh, industry of journalism for sure. You know what's unfortunate, and that was a hell of a rant, dude. Uh, those shows, you know, first take uh, those these shows, you know, Stephen A, whatnot. Like those shows, rate like a lot of people watch them. They're very successful. The people get paid a lot of money, and so I kind of agree with you. Like I just like a more human conversation. But then they just point at the scoreboard. They're like, "Look, we had four times as many viewers as you guys did doing your little skit there in the you know in the third segment." So it's frustrating because I know what you mean. And yet those shows are successful. Look, man, it comes down to this. You're willing to sell out. Mm-hmm. You are willing to sell out and, and not have any character to stand on. And you kind of get what you, what you deserve. You know, if that's what it's all about to you, if your integrity is worth, um, you know, clicks mm-hmm. or likes, then that's, that says a lot about you. I, uh, I'm going to hear from the, the network tomorrow. The new slogan for the show is going to be, uh, we make football less douchey, which I think is catchy as hell, man. That's an incredible compliment. I love that compliment. Yeah. We're through question six. You did not get the Allen Iverson hat, which I feel probably hit close to home. I know you love AI and the answer, but this is a, que- this is a category that is, it, it, it comes from you. This, this derives from you. This is question number seven. The category is, you tweeted it. Aaron, in January of 2013, you tweeted, I think somebody should come up with a way to breed a very large blank. That way, you could ride him. Then after you camped at night, you could eat him. How about it, science? What was the blank? Well, I know for a fact this wasn't... There was a time there where I was just tweeting out Jack Handy quotes, and Jack Handy was a had always had an SNL bit where he would, it was deep thoughts with Jack Handy. And it was a, I mean, I'm trying to think if there was a, if it was a different, it had something to do with a shrimp. Um, but it was like, a, I, don't know if this is, I think, a, I don't know how your judge is going to score this. I'm just going to 
say shrimp. Shrimp is correct. Shrimp is correct. Yeah. Let's explain for anybody listening who has no fucking idea what Jack Handy is. Um, in SNL, they would sometimes come out of commercial and there'd be this <laughs> shot of a butterfly shaking dew off its wings through a rainbow. And then I think it was Phil Hartman would be like, and now it's time for deep thoughts with Jack Handy. And then this guy would come on and say just this, whatever thoughts come off his head. I remember my favorite was, he's like, some people are like slinkies because they don't really have a purpose, but it's fun to watch them fall down the stairs. And it was just weird (laughs) shit like that. And it was funny. And sometimes they were misses. But so you were tweeting back in 2013, just random Jack Handy. You should make a shrimp that you could ride so you could eat it when you camped. Why? <laughs> you know what? Back then, Twitter to me was a lot more fun. It seemed like there were a lot less trolls on, yeah. on it. And I, I found it comical just in my own sense of humor that anytime I would put something out like that, somebody would say like, man, what kind of shit are you on right now? Like, <laughs> What kind of drugs are you taking or how hammered are you? Or, hey, go to bed, you know. I just thought it was hilarious because there's just so many unbelievable ones. I mean, talking about, you know, hanging out with Uncle Caveman who turned out to be a bear, you know, because you <laughs> ate him or, you know, uh, you know, talking about <laughs> just the dumbest things you could possibly imagine that were just hilarious. Just the one liners that he had. And I would try and find, you know, back then it was only 140 characters. So I'd try and find like specific ones. So I'd have to go to tweets and find ones that people would, would laugh about. Um, but man, I, I love I love Jack Candy and actually got a personal note from him, which is really? on my yeah, on my desk in my office, which is very, very special to me. Send me like a signed joke that he had uh, that he had written. Like oh, a awesome. on like a little like three by five card. It's pretty yeah. it's pretty amazing. I didn't even yeah. know Jack it's right, Candy was it's a real right person. Next to my, yeah, oh yeah. It's next to what? It's right next to my letter from uh President Obama. So you got number 44 and and Jack Handy (laughs) and my big Jeopardy check. That's that's my three big things on my mantle there. That's a great mantle. I feel like you have a a, like a very um, solid set approach to Twitter where you use it. It's functional. Sometimes you get in and do something that shows your personality. Sometimes you get out and at like a cause that is meaningful to you. And then like you're not constantly doing it or hitting it. Is that accurate? Like, do you dip your toe in, or what is your relationship with Twitter? Yeah, it's it, you know, it's it used to be so fun. I mean, I would have battles with Shooter McGavin, yeah. who's you know now a friend of mine. He's a guy that lives in you know Ohio. He's just a you know really like nice guy. We'd have these funny you know back and forth on and you know mess with Tom Crabtree, a former teammate of mine. Yes. And like I said, it used to be more fun. Now now with you know with the, the, the trolls and cancel culture and just everything that's on there is. I feel like it's just a hotbed for, you know, offended people to voice their opinions. And it's just not as fun anymore. I, I feel like it used to be used to be more fun. Now I use it. You know, it's a, it's a great outlet. You know, when the when the campfire hit Northern California and Paradise basically got burned to the ground. And, you know, it's a great outlet because I have four million followers on there and, and a chance to reach out to people to, to say, hey, this area needs our help. Like, I'd love for you to, to join in, in the effort. And, and and that's when it gets fun, when you see just random acts of kindness and an outpouring of love, uh, which can be great. But I feel like that's kind of the minority of the interactions now. It's it's, it's the it's not the norm. The norm is you say something and somebody gets offended and then it starts a thread and you gotta, you know, somebody needs to apologize or or maybe you just don't say anything, or maybe 
you know, it's, it's just, it's a lot of opinions on there and, and everybody's entitled to them, but there is a lot of entitlement that goes along with those opinions as well. Um, which I think is, is, uh, doesn't make it maybe as fun as it used to be. Did you ever gift yourself? You ever type your name into the gift search field? Oh yeah, I definitely have. There's a couple of friends that, that like, they like receiving those kind of gifts from me. So I'll send them some funny ones. You know, Marty Bennett, when he was with us a couple of years yeah. ago, brought like the team from Giphy or whatever to the stadium. And I wore, whatever reason the day, I had a uh, Boney Bear shirt on, one of my favorite bands. Yeah. So, and a mustache. So I have this, all these gifts out there of me with a mustache and a Boney Bear shirt doing things. And so every now and then I'll send one to like Justin from the lead singer, Boney Bear whoever like a, you know it's there's some there's some funny ones out there for sure a lot of a lot of people like to send them to me and oh yeah they think i'm gonna get like you know and i find a lot of a lot of humor in that there's um the one where you like take your sunglasses down like magnum pi is really popular <laughs> and there's of course the discount double check and then the one that comes up a lot is when you're really pissed on the sideline and you throw the microsoft surface <laughs> you know that one of course, <laughs> of course, man. I know that play, man. That was that was frustrating, man. And that's how we all feel when we look at our phone. There's so much emotion yeah. in that gift. It should get an award or something. Yeah, I think you should. I'll take one. You are entering question eight, and like I said, you're four points out of seven. This category is finish the lyric. I'm going to play for you a clip from a song. You're going to hear the singer reciting, singing his lyrics, and it's going to stop on a dime. When it stops, you have to finish the lyric right where he stops. Okay. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, get ready to play it. Aaron, when it stops, you pick up the lyric. Play the clip for Rogers. Children of tomorrow share their dreams for you and me. You and me! Yes! That is absolutely right. Don't even need to play the next clip. That is right. The Scorpions. Dude, you, you didn't even just have it. You sang it. That's my, you know, like, I used to be, I, I, you know, I'll tell a quick story. Yeah. There's a place called My, Mikey's Pub in downtown Green Bay, and as a young player, we used to go there on like Friday nights. They have uh, karaoke, open mic karaoke, and he'd sign up. And there's they had this big fish bowl, and uh, you know he'd have some drinks and and sing some karaoke. And I remember this woman, this woman told me I was a rookie, and she came up to me. And she said, "If you play quarterback as well as you sing, Green Bay isn't going to be in good shape for a long time." Ooh, I baby. said, "I said you're drunk." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at the time, Journey, Don't Stop Believing, and uh, uh, Jack and Diane by Mellencamp are kind of my go-to songs. But since then, uh, that song has actually been uh, been a favorite of mine for karaoke, Winds of Change by uh, Scorpions. So I know that one really well. All right. So when you get up to do the karaoke, this is a critical question for that song selection. Do you whistle? Oh, yeah. It's got heavy whistling. You whistle too. Yeah, it's about a sixteen stand. What is it? About a sixteen bar whistle or something like that. Yeah, it's a long one. But I have a karaoke machine at the house that rates you actually one to a hundred. It's really like about mid sixties to a hundred, and it and it's it rates you. It's it's really hard to get in the nineties. Um, so 
I've never got a hundred actually singing that yeah. song before, but, but it is a fun, uh, you know, I've got some friends in town after a game, like, yeah. and, you know, Sunday night, a uh, couple scotches in, maybe sing a little karaoke. Everybody's got to sing. That's the rule. Everybody has to sing. It's funny because, you know, Jack and Diane, everybody does. Your choice of every possible song is this power ballad about socioeconomic reform in the Soviet Union of all songs. <laughs> no. I have to take like a really, really sharp left turn here because right now in the NFL and the world and everything, there's there's actual change, like real, real serious change, progressive change. I think your last Instagram post was about the Packers and the anthem and all that was going on in the world that your protest that you guys did as a team a few years back had nothing to do with the anthem, nothing to do with the flag. Why did you post that? I didn't want to get caught up in the narrative that um, that I couldn't see a difference between um, – the national anthem and uh, caring about uh, social injustice and um, one's protected bill of rights uh, ability to share their opinion and protest and demonstrate. Um, I, I don't, I don't see a connection there. I know there's been a lot of opinions about it both ways and people have talked about never watching the NFL again because of yeah. anthem protests. Um, and, as opposed to many people, I believe in, in uh, freedom of speech and freedom of your own opinion. Um, I don't need to cancel somebody who believes in that. I don't resonate with that at all, um, that uh, opinion, that ideology, but um, that's their own opinion. My opinion is that uh, social injustice uh, is, is an issue. Social inequality is an issue. And I stand with my, my teammates um, in the belief that uh, real change needs to happen. and. Uh, that's, you know, at that time, that was what uh, we decided as a team to do was to lock arms. The heat that we took, uh, the the sweet, sweet secretaries at at uh, at Lambeau Field, mm -hmm. you know, the, the heat that they took from angry fans was alarming. That's the only way to say it. Um, wanting to get back the tickets and mm -hmm. screaming at these two, two or three lovely ladies who I get to see just about every day when I need them to buzz me across the sure. other door. They're just the sweetest, the sweetest folks, uh, was so uncalled for and unnecessary. And, um, I think that's probably part of the problem in this country. If you, if you don't uh, agree with me in my opinion, then I'm going to tell you what a fucking idiot you are. And I just don't subscribe to that. I think the best way to grow and to learn is to listen, but listening involves being silent, which people forget about. There's a reason they have the exact same letters in those two words. Mm. Um, it's hard to hard to listen when you're voicing your opinion all the time and telling somebody how wrong they are. Um, for me, it's about listening, about listening to uh, my African-American teammates. And, and Randall Cobb and I had a great conversation about five years ago, and we talked about just kind of the difference in thought process uh, when you're getting pulled over. And I was sharing my own thoughts, and he shared his. And it's a lot different. Yeah. It's a lot different it's the way you treat it. And uh, things go through your mind. And I think listening to those uh, real stories and struggles and frustrations and uh, racist remarks that you've heard over the years is how you grow as a society. It's educating yourself to what is really going on out there. And I don't have a problem with anybody at any time voicing their opinion, whether it's actually a, a verbal uh, opinion or whether it's uh, nonverbal. And there's been some powerful demonstrations over the years 
that have led to real change. And I think there's been a conversation that's been started. It's been progressed the last couple months, which is a really good thing. And I think the action steps need to continue um, and will continue. And I think it's very positive for our country. But the, the real thing that I made, and I, I, I sent out a, a similar uh, Instagram post during that time, but I thought it was just classically um, hypocritical to have gentlemen on knees taking pictures of us locking arms wearing hats while how many hundreds or thousands of people waited in line at concession stands or unfortunately or in the bathroom wearing hats or not paying attention to the national anthem. My whole point was to say, it's not about the anthem. It really never has been. It's about the uncomfortability around a topic. And I think the first step in growing is to admitting, Hey, you know, this makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. This topic, this issue. Um, but you have to, you, you, there has to be some understanding, humility that like, okay, I don't understand what's going on. Now I need to listen and educate myself. And when you do, you realize uh, there's different privileges that have been afforded to people who look like us compared to people who look like a lot of my teammates. And, and I support uh, those guys and I support, you know, reform and, and a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of judicial Areas where I think we can make some real progress in changing the antiquated laws that uh, are not up to date with 2020 and mm-hmm. and uh, things that are fair for all people, not just a certain certain group of society. You know, you're right. Of course, it's not about the anthem. A lot of players choose and want to choose that moment to make their stand. So you go into this season. Obviously, you have the pandemic. You have a wild election around the corner. And then on top of that, you have people who are going to want to demonstrate. They're going to want to protest. They're going to have their opinions. So as a captain and as a quarterback of the team, do you go into the season with with a plan as a team? So you're all on the same page in terms of protests or anthems. Like, do you do you have to have that meeting before you, the first game? I think, I mean, I think, I think it won't hurt. I think it's important to, to again, to, to listen and to be silent and to hear um, everybody's opinion on the issue and, and talk through what we want to do. And we felt like a few years ago, there's important to be unified and to lock arms. Um, and I'm not sure what it's going to be this year. Uh, I hearken back to uh, a time as a young player where we were never out for the anthem. Yeah. It wasn't until there was some, DOD uh, demonstrations and money coming from them to the NFL before we were actually on the field for the anthem. So I find a lot of it very uh, hypocritical uh, in nature, but, uh, but I support uh, whatever decision uh, we, we come to and we decide to do. And, you know, it's a real issue and I'm committed to, uh, to change in our, in our area. And I think if more people just listened and educate themselves, um, we could uh, actually make some progress on on this important issue. Listen and silent. It's the same letters in different order. It's really well said. Aaron, you got two questions left. You're doing fantastically. I didn't know where you were going to end up on this thing. You were five out of eight right now with two left. Question number nine. You knew this was coming eventually. There's no way you were getting out of here without this category. The category is the one ring. Let's go to Middle Earth. Aaron, whilst... In a post-battle stupor after taking Isengard, 
Pippin tells Gimli that what food is, quote, particularly good. Can you picture the scene? Yes, he's sitting there <laughs> eating. Your face is contorted right now. He's eating and oh. smoking. But what does he tell Gimli, who's hungry as shit, is particularly oh good? What is it? I think I might have it. Think like a hobbit. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm going to say... Oh, I can just hear him saying... I'm going to say the... Here it comes. Spiced ham. He says spiced ham is particularly good. And you know what, Aaron? You're wrong. The answer... The answer is the salted pork is particularly good. (laughs) And Gimli says, salted pork. You're pissed right now, right? You wanted the salted pork. I can see him. The right animal. I feel good about that. There are uh, a lot of NFL Lord of the Rings fans. Like Kittle is way into it. Uh, Kirk Cousins likes Lord of the Rings. You've been there. Do you've been to Middle Earth? You went to Hobbiton, right? Like, tell me, is it as magical as it is in my dreams? I think so. I, I really do. I, I think it's, I think it's totally magical. Um, the thing I was most surprised about was that they are not actually livable homes. I thought it was. I thought there were rooms inside yeah. of them, especially Bilbo's house. Um, they're not. But the story around it is so brilliant. Experience was, was was awesome. I had a blast. We had a private tour, and it was there were some amazing things in New Zealand. It's a beautiful country. It saw the fjords at the at the Mumford Sound, and landed a helicopter on a glacier, oh and went to Waiheke and did wine tasting. The highlight was still for me, Hobbiton. <laughs> I have to tie this to you. So this one's obvious. A lot of talk in the trilogy is the One Ring. Uh, a lot of media talk about your football career is the one ring. Like a lot of people have opinions about how you have quote unquote, only one Super Bowl ring. What's your opinion on it? I got one. It's more than, more than some people, more than a lot, <laughs> more than some, more than some great ones. Um, yeah. I mean, we've been to four NFC championship games all on the road and, and we got one of them. Uh, you know, it's just kind of the facts. We've obviously had a lot of success. We won 15 games. We went to the playoffs eight straight years. You know, Mike and I had a, you know, a, a phenomenal uh, run together as a, you know, head coach, play caller and quarterback and had some great teams over those years. Um, you know, a lot of people would say probably underachieved or whatever they want to categorize it. That's fine. That's their opinion. Um, you know, we ran into some, uh, some tough teams. You know, I feel like uh, our best team was actually not the team that won the Super Bowl. It wasn't even a team that went 15 to 1. I think it was a great team. But the 2009 and 2014 teams I thought were fantastic. 2009, we lose in the first round uh, to Arizona in a shootout with Kurt Warner, where he was absolutely on fire. That was a phenomenal team. We had the NFC defensive, we had the defensive player of the year in Charles Woodson, yeah. who was, you know, the best player I ever played with, and phenomenal. And we were dynamic on offense with, 
you know, Donald Driver and Greg Jennings and James Jones, and young Jordy Nelson. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 14 team, obviously, that defense was just so talented. And to lose the way we did, you know, up 19 nothing against Seattle. At Seattle, obviously, a tough place to play against that incredible defense um, was really disappointing, especially the way it went down, you know, with yeah. them getting on side kick and getting that two-point conversion you know if one thing goes our way there obviously we're going to the championship against a team that we'd already beaten that year in new england um albeit at home uh by five but uh but that was a super talented team so yeah those i mean those losses hurt obviously being a competitor but i'm proud of what we what we've accomplished and and hopeful for uh you know our chances moving forward you know i, I try to i try to in any way to relate to what it must be like to be in your position and you know, this comes full circle with some of the GOAT conversation that we started with. Jordan got his sixth ring. Everybody remembers the shot over Brian Russell, and it's iconic, and it's beautiful. Like, the only reason that he got that shot is because on the other end, he stole it from Malone. He made this incredible defensive play. In your position, in your sport, like, you can't recover the onside kick. You can't tackle Kaepernick. Like, you want the ball at the end of the game, but there's so many times where it's like, I can't do the Jordan. I have to stand there and do nothing and rely on all these other players to make a play. It, isn't that frustrating? Well, I think it's beautiful. I mean, it's yeah. it's the beauty in, in our sport. It's, it's You're so reliant on so many other guys. And it's, it's unlike any other game because baseball, you can have a dominant pitcher and, and win. Uh, in basketball, you can have MJ and Scotty and, or LeBron and Kobe and Shaq and, um, and dominate on both ends of the game. Uh, but in the NFL, you need 25 guys. You know, you need 11 starters on offense, 11 on defense. You need a nickel corner as well. You need a, a kicker and a punter and a long snapper to do their job. You know, just relying on so many people. And with us for so many years, you know, draft and develop and relying on young players. Uh, you know, for so many years, you know, in those clutch situations, you know, I think that's the beauty in it. You know, you're, you're, you know, celebrating uh, with so many different guys over the years and then also relying in clutch situations on guys to do their job. There's no other game like it. And you can, you know, be dominate, dominant on offense and not always win. You can be dominant on defense like our defense was against Seattle in 14 and not win. So that's the beauty in our game, I think. It is beautiful, man. It's just it's heartbreaking. Like I, I just remember watching. Oh, shit, of course. It's, of course, it's crushing that Cardinals game when you basically competed two hail marys in a row, like down the field to Janice. It was like, what more can this guy do to win a game? Where like we're seeing like acts of religious magic right in front of us, and yet you still take the L. It's crazy. Yeah, that's that's the that's the beauty of frustration. That's not beautiful at all. It's bullshit. <laughs> oh man, well it was beautiful, you know, passing for over 100 yards on the drive, I and mean, that hasn't been done, I don't think, before. But um, yeah, you know, and we've been a part of some pretty unbelievable games. I mean, obviously, Seattle game in 14 was incredible. That game in 15 was amazing. You know, the Des when he tried to catch it and then you know that game in in 14 as well was spectacular 16 against Dallas you know we've had some pretty amazing fun games uh we just haven't been able to get to the Super Bowl I think you're going to again and I think you're going to question 10 now Aaron when you're at five points out of nine this is our equivalent of final jeopardy now I know that you won on jeopardy but I also know you did not get final 
which I, I don't know, did that feel like um, you just finished this great round and won the tournament, but like you three putted on 18? Definitely. Okay, let's remedy that. Question number 10 on 10 questions is our essay question. The essay means I have found a take of yours from the past that I may or may not agree with. I'm going to present you with that take and you have eh, 30 seconds to a minute to convince me that that take is accurate. If I feel your essay is compelling, I'll give you the point. If I'm not convinced, you get nothing. Here we go. The final question of 10 questions to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron, a few years back, you appeared on NFL Network's Good Morning Football discussing different goats in different arenas. Michael Jordan, Alex Trebek, etc. When asked about the goat movie villain, you first scoffed at Darth Vader and said that the greatest villain in movie history is the guy from Silent Rage. <laughs> that is a fact. Now, everyone at home who doesn't know, Silent Rage is a 1982 Chuck Norris action movie. It has 80% on Rotten Tomatoes. Aaron, you have the time here to convince me and the world that, again, the guy from Silent Rage is the greatest villain in movie history speak this shit to life well let me just say god it's first difficult for me because i think there are times where you want to get a rise out of people and that might have been one of those situations but for the sake of argument i'm gonna say that uh he did something in that movie that no one else has ever done in my opinion how do you become the greatest villain of all time without having a speaking line in the entire movie you first have the ungodly task to act opposite one of the greatest actors of our generation, Chuck Norris. So you're going against Chuck Norris, who's shirtless, by the way. Yep. Who's one of the, during his prime, one of the greatest looking guys to ever walk the earth. Yep. And also has an incredible roundhouse kick. Also lives in Chester, California, sidebar, which is a couple hours from Chico. Um, but to, to try and hold your own acting opposite Chuck Norris, who's not wearing a shirt, and to not have a line... I mean, you think about any other great movie villain ever. The Jesus in Big Lebowski has many lines that are quotable. Darth Vader, and he has the voice. He has James Earl Jones. And then he has the, you know, by the way, how can you be a villain when at the end of the movie, you take your helmet off and you're like, you know, tell your sister, you know, you were right. Like, come on, that's not what a villain does. A villain goes down swinging. And that's what the guy in Silent Rage did, and that's why he deserves to be the greatest villain of all time. I was fully prepared to not give you this point, and Aaron, I'm giving you the point, because you nailed it. If you take away the dialogue from Hannibal Lecter, he's just standing in a cell staring at Jodie Foster. Um, Anton yes. Chigurh uh, from No Country for Old Men, he's got great lines. This gentleman doesn't speak for the whole movie, and he still steals every scene. You're right. And he has to act opposite Chuck Norris. I mean, think about the pressure. And he's unkillable. Yeah. And at the end of the movie, that's just what you want. He Like, does he come out of the well? I think he's coming out of the well. Does he say, oh, okay, sorry, Chuck. Like, let's be friends. Let's hug it out. No, he doesn't. Fuck no. No. Coming for blood. I can't believe that you got that point, but you did. And as you and I right now, the only people listening to this who have seen Silent Rage, I've seen it a couple times. I agree with you. Everyone else has been like, these fucking idiots and oh, silent rage is the greatest villain of all time. I'm in. Silent. Not quiet rage. Silent. No, silent. Aaron. And he was listening. He was listening a lot, too. Obviously. Listen so and silent. silent. God, that should be the sequel. Listen, rage, because they're the same word. You just tied a bow on this shit. You are beautiful. And Aaron, 
You have finished the 10 questions. Unbelievable job. You finish with a six out of 10. Last order of business, I want you to call somebody out. Any public figure you want who you think would thrive in this format and could maybe butt heads with you and compete with your six out of 10, who do you think would be great? Anybody you want. This is really tough for me. And I thought about a number of different people. I, you know, I, you being a, you know, an Ivy leaguer, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick would be phenomenal. Mm -hmm. He's a, you know, a genius and a, and a, and a facial hair aficionado as well. Um, but because of my ties to a certain game show and also the fact that this individual is a fan, I think of the same team that you are, I think James Holzhauer would be a really good addition to the show. Oh my God, that's a great call. You the gonna greatest go, Jeopardy gonna go champion Holzhauer. of all time. Oh man, all in Jimmy Holzhauer. <laughs> Holy He's shit, a that's huge great. sports fan. Yep. He's the greatest per show Jeopardy guy ever. He yeah. changed the game forever. And he, I think he's a fan of the Bears, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And he's a professional sports gambler. So he's a fan of whoever's winning. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go Fitzpatrick as well, I think that's a great, you know, I know he went to a different uh, Ivy League school, but for like, you know, when you're talking about the battle of wits. Yes. To the death. Yes. I accept. It's an absolutely incredible pull as you close with the Princess Bride. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful line. Aaron, you could not have been better. This has been so great. You're unbelievably generous with your time. I know that it's a really busy time for you in general. So just thank you so much for being so cool, so easy. And uh, let's have a scotch together sometime, dude. I would cheers you, but I'm all out, buddy. But thank you. <laughs> You're all out, and he is out of here. Aaron Rodgers, number 12. Goat may be a worn-out phrase, but I'm using it for him. The Goat. Ten questions. We will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Ten Questions with Kyle Brandt is a co-production by Spotify and The Ringer. The show is produced by Richie Bozek, Jason Gallagher, Noah Malale, and Steve Allman. Our theme song is by Matt Schiltz and Bobby Lord. Additional sound design by Bobby Lord.